Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. I'm Miriam Knight, and I have a fascinating subject to talk about today with my very interesting guest, Shelley Malone. Shelley is a conventionally trained, progressive-minded nutritionist who has spent over 20 years working in the healthcare and nutrition industries. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist and a member of the Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine practice group within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Try to say that twice. She holds a BS in Nutritional Science from Cal Polytech and has a Master's in Public Health from UCLA. She has a concentration in nutrition. I mean, this has been the theme of her work. And particularly, she is certified in bio-individual nutrition. Now, she was inspired by her own diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, and she was able to manage her symptoms with diet and lifestyle for nearly a decade. As a result, she's on a mission to help others understand and reap the benefits of an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. She's pulled together her knowledge into her new book called Inflamed, Discover the Root Cause of Inflammation and Personalize a Step-by-Step Plan to Create a Healthy and Vibrant Life. Welcome, Shelley Malone. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, you know, this is such an important topic because nowadays the subject of nutrition has really come up on everybody's radar and people are starting to realize that the aches and pains that they experience are not their normal state. So I love your book because it's a really accessible step-by-step how-to understand your own possible causes of aches and pains caused by inflammation. I think people are really pretty much agreeing that inflammation is kind of at the root of all of this. So Mm -hmm. I want to jump in and explore this book with you so we can illuminate a little bit more our listeners. So let's start with inflammation. What are some of the ways that it manifests in the body? Oh, some of the ways it manifests. Um, Well, it's really really at the root cause of just about any chronic condition, unless it's, you know, an infectious condition. But any type of chronic disease, which, you know, we sometimes call lifestyle disease because it's really at the core of managing it and preventing it is diet and lifestyle. So anything from, you know, all of your autoimmune conditions, rheumatoid arthritis, MS, um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, your digestive issues, cardiovascular issues, diabetes, um, even you know aches and pains. We talked about even if you're not to the point where you've gotten a certain diagnosis, but you're having some type of chronic symptom of joint pain or um, skin issues. It's it's 
really widespread how it can manifest. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the causes behind it? Well, the causes of inflammation, um, primarily it's diet and lifestyle. So there's, you know, we kind of have to control kind of three different aspects. We want to, um, one, control our hormones because certain hormones can be inflammatory like insulin. So a diet high in sugar is going to raise your glucose and in response your insulin has to raise and that can be inflammatory. Stress is a big one and then you have kind of a dysregulated cortisol which can, um, can become inflammatory. We also have so many products in our environment that we now know as endocrine disruptors, so they're disrupting our hormones, um, you know, parabens and phthalates and different things we're getting in our personal care products and pesticides in our foods are all disrupting our hormones, which can also affect our gut health, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, but that's another big piece of it is just making sure that you have um, a healthy gut microbiome and you know there's a lot of talk about leaky gut now but mm -hmm. that's where the biggest concentration of our immune cells are so that's key uh, food sensitivities are a big one if you're eating a food that you're sensitive to you're kind of constantly triggering this inflammation within your body um, and then just not eating a whole healthful diet Nutri nutrient deficiencies play a huge role in inflammation and all of the conditions that come out of that what about so genetics? There's, there's a lot to it. Genetics also plays a role. Um, genetics is interesting. Um, it, it plays a role and it doesn't play a role. So in the sense that, you know, you're predisposed to a certain condition, we, we now know that um, most chronic issues, only um, 10 to 20% of those come about because of genetics. It's really mm -hmm. your environment, your diet and lifestyle that determine if you're going to turn on those genes. So, of course, if you are predisposed, like myself, I was, I have a family history of rheumatoid arthritis, so I was predisposed to get that condition. But it was my diet and my lifestyle that kind of opened the doors for that to come through and turn those genes on. So they, they play a role in that way. Another um, topic we're learning more about is um, some kind of genetic variation SNPs. There's a lot of talk about kind of the MTHFR and different genetic mutations that might affect your ability to um, process and, and use certain nutrients like B vitamins. And if you do have mm -hmm. one of those variations, you might need to get some type of special supplementation to make sure you can actually absorb those nutrients. So mm -hmm. it definitely plays a role, um, but I think in terms of of thinking it like well i'm i'm destined to get this disease because my mother had it my grandmother had it we we need to get out of that mindset and know that we have more control than we think if we can you know clean up our diet and lifestyle that's good news now <laughs> yeah, one of the <laughs> one of the first things that you mentioned was the role of insulin and uh, obviously the impact of sugar in our diets. One of the uh -huh. things that I noticed, uh, I don't remember whether it was in your book or, or um, just read it, that type 2 diabetes, which usually used to be considered adult onset diabetes, you know, kind of mm -hmm. into your, your midlife, 
is now mm -hmm. occurring in young people. And mm -hmm. what do you think, um, I know I'm offering you a leading question, <laughs> but what, <laughs> um, what is the role of diet in causing these changes, causing the earlier um, appearance of diabetes in youngsters? Oh, oh well, diet is, is huge. Um, you know, it is, it is unfortunate, um, and I think obviously sugar plays a role because it is, <clears throat> as I mentioned, <clears throat> when you eat sugar, it's, you know, especially a processed sugar, it spikes your glucose and then your insulin has to respond. And over time, your insulin um, just isn't as responsive. You're not as sensitive to it. So you need to have more and more of it circulating through your body. But it's... Um, it's also, it's, it's, the sugar is a big part, um, just overeating is a big part of it because of, you know, the weight gain can lead to diabetes. And, you know, we're learning more and more about the microbiome and the different um, kind of microbes that are in your gut. And there are certain ones that um, if, if your gut microbiome is, is not balanced as it should, it can lead to conditions like diabetes, mm -hmm. so sugar also plays a role. You know, it feeds, whenever we think of our gut microbiome, we always want to make sure we have good bacteria, more good bacteria to bad, right? And so when you eat sugar, it feeds the bad bacteria like yeast. So it can throw that off a condition kind of known as dysbiosis, and if it gets bad enough, then it can lead to a leaky gut. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different issues related to diabetes, and it's just unfortunate I think even people well-meaning our food supply, you know, we have, you know, GMOs that can damage the gut as well. It's, it's really hard to avoid it unless you're very intentional about what you eat. And so if you're not as familiar with seeking out those foods, it, it's really tough. And it, it actually that's really heartbreaking for me because sometimes I think people even really well-meaning aren't realizing the added sugar that they're getting from packaged foods or the GMOs and what that is doing to their system. Yeah, just a, a word about GMOs. Obviously, the um, manipulation of the genes has been to make them um, either kill bugs, sort of an internal pesticide, uh, and be resistant to other pesticides. So that particular characteristic not only kills the, pesti the, the pests on the wheat or the soybeans or the corn, but also in your gut, um, causing all the problems that we were just discussing. So Shelley, we were talking about the gut and mm -hmm. the importance of the gut and the microbiome. I also read that there has been an increase in gut problems because of the increase in cesarean births because the babies don't go through the birth canal and they don't get inoculated with the, the bugs right. of the mother. Yes. Uh -huh. So what do you do about that? Well, interesting. They're now, I mean, it's not standard, but there's definitely um, some more progressive facilities that are starting to um, swab the baby's mouth with um, kind of a sample of mm -hmm. that um, of the microbes that they would have gotten from the mother, and that's showing mm -hmm. some some positive results. Um, so that's really interesting. I think it might be some time be 
before we see that standard of care, we still, I think our hospitals are still a long way from kind of optimal um, practices for, you know, even breastfeeding and encouraging breastfeeding and things like that. But um, that definitely shows promise. Um, you know, there's a whole other backstory that's definitely not my forte to get into about why there are so many C-sections. But um, I think that that shows promise because, um, you know, it's not always within your control. And, of course, that's needed sometimes. And then mm-hmm. I think, obviously, it's critical to breastfeed um, or get your baby milk, however that needs to happen. You know, if you're, you know, have a premature infant, if you can use a breast pump and at least get them that human milk because um, the human milk is so critical in kind of closing up those tight junctions. Essentially, a baby's kind of born with a leaky gut. So especially the colostrum that you get in those first few days seals up those tight junctions of the gut. So breastfeeding, there's, you know, probiotics you can provide to infants in powder form. So um, there's definitely things you can do to combat it. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not the end. Don't need to completely, you know, it's not a complete tragedy if that happens, but you need to stay on top of it and just be aware that that baby might be predisposed to issues. So you mentioned leaky gut. How prevalent is that situation? And what is it? Well, I mean, it's hard to say the prevalence is I don't think it's, I don't know that there's a lot of studies on leaky gut across the generalized population because to do that we would need all the people educated to know that that's a root cause and getting to their practitioners and getting it tested. And I don't know that it's always commonly tested. You can do kind of a mannitol test to see if you truly have a leaky gut. I think a lot of times it's diagnosed clinically, just symptoms. Um, There is some research that shows everyone who has an autoimmune disease that has been tested has been shown to have a leaky gut. So pretty well accepted that if you have an autoimmune condition that you have leaky gut. And other things Mm -hmm. like um, digestive issues or skin issues, um, you can pretty much bet there's a leaky gut involved there. But overall prevalence of the population... I, I don't have that statistic. Well, I, I was going to ask you what your gut feel is, but <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, oh, <laughs> I can't that's resist a good it. one. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I think it's so. Describe, de- yeah, just describe the mechanism and what happens when you have a leaky gut. What is happening in your body? Okay, so leaky gut is basically, um, I know that I kind of just can't stand that term. <laughs> it's such a, oh, it's not an a, a unattractive picture that you get in your head, um, think of leaking in guts. But if you can think of your digestive system, it's supposed to be woven very tightly like a piece of cheesecloth um, because your you know digestive system is charged with making sure that pathogens and other substances that will be seen as foreign to your system don't pass through that digestive system and then get into your bloodstream. And it provides, you know, the digestive enzymes so that you've completely break down your food and they can't get through. But what can happen from diet, a high sugar diet, um, gluten, GMOs, pesticides, um, other environmental factors that we're getting, it can become, start to become more permeable. And in my book, I say your, you know, your cheesecloth has now become more like a tennis net, which is an exaggeration, but I think it gives a good visual of what's happening. So now, um, 
these, you know, what should be very tightly woven digestive lining gets more permeable and kind of holes in it, if you will. And you're eating a food, say you have like gluten or casein from milk that are really big molecules and hard to break down. You don't have the digestive juices to fully break them down. And then you're, it's more permeable. So they kind of sneak out early into your system and they're not supposed to be there. So it, to your body, um, it, it seems as something that's foreign and it should attack. And then that's what elicits the inflammation. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what leaky gut is. So really the inflammation is just the body doing its best to repel invaders. Yeah. And I always like to make the differentiation between acute and chronic inflammation. And it's really mm-hmm. chronic inflammation that we're concerned about. Acute inflammation you know, if you spike a fever because you have an infection or, you know, your ankle swells and bruises because you sprained it, it's healing. We need that. It's, it's very essential, and, and we want that. The problem is that, you know, when we're eating foods that we're sensitive to or, um, you know, our diet's not right or we have these constant stressors in our life, your body's just constantly in this state of inflammation. And all the inflammatory hormones and all the physiological processes that are very good for an acute inflammatory condition are very unhealthy for a chronic condition. You don't want that inflammation constantly trickling through your body. So mm-hmm. that's, I think that's a good differentiation to make. Right, right. Now, we are becoming more and more aware of gluten sensitivity and and Mm -hmm. even restaurants are starting to offer gluten-free menus. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think has caused this rise in gluten sensitivity and you know what are its effects in the body? Well the rise of gluten sensitivity um, and there's a couple of different aspects. There's the actual just awareness of it, which I think that comes from um, when we have more research. We've actually had a lot of research on it for a long time, but it hasn't been in the mainstream. And so people seeking out more progressive practitioners that kind of acknowledge its role, I think that is part of why we're becoming more aware of it. Um, and the food companies kind of jumping on the bag wagon, even if it's not really a helpful food, they are making gluten-free options so everybody is aware of this gluten-free kind of label and issue. Um, I think true celiac disease got more attention, which it should have, which is, it's a different condition but has at least raised the awareness. But the gluten itself are, are, it's just different, it's a different type of gluten um, and it's more powerful and we have different processed and very condensed versions of it because of the way we make bread, you know, we're not, it's not grandma, like, making bread on the counter, allowing the yeast to rise, and yeast actually eats up some of the gluten in the process of traditional bread making, when, you know, now it's this quick rising bread that the gluten doesn't get eaten up, so we have more gluten in our bread products, just the way our diet has transitioned, and you know, that food guide pyramid came out and, you know, everything should be grains, you know, at the base of this, the food guide pyramid, you know, people are just eating so much of it. The base of so many people's diets are grains, so we're just eating so much of it. And then I think the other environmental factors, the added sugars in our food, which are, um, 
compromising our our gut integrity, you know, possibly even the leaky gut, leaky gut makes you uh, more prone to being sensitive to gluten because we mm-hmm. we have even more research now showing that consuming gluten unzips the tight junctions of your gut. Tight junctions are kind of what are keeping that from being permeable, um, and it releases a protein called zonulin, which does unzip those tight junctions. So there's a lot of different reasons for it. Um, uh, so does yeah, that happen even if you don't have celiac disease? Yes, this is outside of celiac disease. So you might hear of, you know, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's that is a condition in itself. And we don't have firm numbers on prevalence of that either. I mean, I've seen numbers like, for every person, for every person with celiac disease, there's probably six times more people that have a non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, so it it is very common and is very a very serious condition. Celiac disease is very serious as well. I don't think we should be comparing them and you know discounting what a, glute, a gluten sensitivity is outside of celiac disease. But it mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. is, and if you have a confirmed sensitivity, you really need to avoid it completely. Because if you continue to eat it, even a little bit, I hear a lot of people like, oh, I'm gluten light, and that's probably good as long as you confirm you don't have a sensitivity. Um, you, have to, you have to keep it out of your diet completely because otherwise you're just constantly triggering that inflammation, you know, and you never really give your body a chance to heal. I read about a nun who had celiac and had a really rigorous, rigorous diet, and she wasn't getting any better. And then when her Mm. doctor got to the bottom of it, it turned out she was eating one communion wafer a week, and that was enough to keep her inflamed. Yeah. They say, like, especially with celiac disease, I mean, it's like the size of your pinky nail. Even consuming that much can, can cause a lot of damage. So... Yeah, and there is there are all kinds of hidden um, sources of gluten in everything from from food additives to spices to to things you absolutely wouldn't dream of. So that yeah. it's it's really a challenge is, for people. It is everywhere. I know, like MSG, it can be in that anything malted could possibly have gluten. Um, you know, your soy sauce has gluten in it. They make a tamari version that is wheat free, but you know, like why does wheat need to be in soy sauce. I've heard wasabi might have it, which I know it's too hot for me. I don't eat, but that's um, something I've heard lately too. Yeah, it, um, mm. it's everywhere. You really have to be diligent to look out for it. So what is the difference between a food sensitivity and a food allergy? Um, that's a good question. I think that's an important one because I see those terms kind of intermix sometimes. So a food allergy is like an IgE response. That's that's where you have an immediate response to be very serious, anaphylactic, you know, respiratory issues um, could even lead to death. That's a very, very serious issue. And that is very common. You know, you see peanuts and kids and shellfish, um, Strawberries, those are common food allergens. A food sensitivity is sometimes called, you know, a delayed hypersensitivity because it, it, it's not an immediate reaction like the food allergy. It can take days for it to show up, and that's one of the reasons it's 
can be confusing for people to figure out if they have one. Um, mm-hmm. And typically not as severe. Life it's it's not life threatening. Like it's an not life threatening, right? right. Well, we'll immediately we'll anyway. More. So, Shelley, do you have a website that people could get more information from? I do. Yeah, you can go to shellymalone.com. S H E L L Y. And um, for the book is uh, inflamedbook.com. It's, it gives more information about the book. But yeah, on my website, I have I have a blog that I write about these type of topics, um, and I do videos occasionally as well, and um, share some different articles that I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier some of the different conditions, the the different chronic conditions that are associated with inflammation. Um, and you talk a lot about anti, you know, combating this inflation, uh, inflammation. Mm-hmm. So one of the uh, approaches is diet. Um, mm-hmm. Why uh, should people be concerned about using uh, the anti-inflammatory drugs that are so prevalent in the market? Well, one, I mean, my biggest issue is, and I'm not saying there's never an, a situation where you wouldn't need these medications. You know, I don't think people should suffer, and, um, you know, th- there could be a time and a place for them. But I think you, we can't rely them rely on them solely because they don't get to the root cause of the issue. When you're using a anti-inflammatory medication to put out inflammation, you know, it's kind of like trick candles on a birthday cake. You know, you might put out that immediate symptom that you're having, but you're not getting to the root cause. So the symptom's going to come back. It might come back worse. You might need more medication. Or it might manifest some different way because you never got to the root cause. You know, maybe you, you know, patch that one up, but another one's going to sneak out because that root cause is still there. Um, And then with a lot of the anti-inflammatory medications that we have, they really damage our gut and our gut lining. So not only are they not getting to the root cause, but they're contributing to the root cause, which is a leaky gut. So mm-hmm. um, I think I, I just I think that you need to definitely look at diet and lifestyle, regardless. If you are in a situation where you need to be taking those, you have to start to address the diet and lifestyle as well. But now, definitely if you don't, I mean, I know a lot of people who are constantly popping, you know, just over-the-counter, mm-hmm. you know, anti-inflammatory medications for any tiniest little thing. It's like, well, if it's a headache, let's look at the root cause. Like, are you sensitive to a food? Are you drinking enough water? If you have an aches and pains, like there's so many other things you could do to go about it. And I think we're just so used to these quick-fix kind of Band-Aids that we just... Um, pop them in and then in the case Mm -hmm. of like an autoimmune disease where you've gone to the point of using an immunosuppressant not again not that you would never need these but they do just as they say they're suppressing your immune system so it's kind of coming at it at this other side you're trying to suppress your immune system so that it stops reacting to the inflammation but there's another way to go about it just if you could stop starting that fire of inflammation you know by addressing um, diet and lifestyle, then you... Now, there are some really common, there are some really common uh, foods 
and uh, mm -hmm. that we ingest that cause inflammation. Uh, perhaps mm -hmm. you could review them for us. Sure. Well, sugar is a big one. Um, but as far as true food sensitivities, gluten, as we've talked about, casein, particularly the casein from cow's milk, which is um, a different type of casein, a more inflammatory casein than what you might get from sheep's or goat milk. Um, soy is a big one. Corn is another big one. That is everywhere. <laughs> um, those are main ones. Sometimes some people might have issues with eggs and yeast, and there's some other commons, but the big four and what I always start my clients out with or having issues are gluten, um, casein, soy, and corn. Now you say casein instead of dairy mm -hmm. products. Are there some dairy products that aren't so bad? Well, I say casein because when you come to a food sensitivity, it's the protein in the food that you have a sensitivity to, right? So the gluten is the protein in your wheat and rye and barley and spelt. Casein is the protein in the dairy products. The fat in the dairy products shouldn't cause inflammation, unless you're having some other issue or you have a gallbladder issue, you need to look at fat. But So if you were to have something like ghee, which is a clarified butter, which is you know, they, that just means they've clarified it so there's absolutely no casein, no protein in it, whereas butter might have a little bit, and some people might mm -hmm. be able to tolerate butter. So that's why I say casein because it's the, it's the protein. And then the other protein in milk, whey, some people can tolerate that who, who can't tolerate casein. So oh. it's in, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So in particular, it's your cow's milk, and especially pasteurized cow's milk, dairy is really kind of on a spectrum as far as sensitivity, whereas gluten is a little bit more absolute. You know, if you, some people might be able to tolerate a raw version, like a raw cow's milk, because it's raw as it pasteurized, it still has the enzymes in it that's helping you break it down because it's that, that undigested piece of it is, is what triggers the inflammation. Um, so raw there are some milk products. Or fermented. Right. Yeah, like a fermented, well, like the, a kefir. Some people can can um, tolerate that for the same reason because that fermentation is helping the digestive process for it. But for anyone who's really looking to see if they have a sensitivity, I say at least two weeks, no, no casing whatsoever. And then maybe mm -hmm. over time you could try to add like a raw goat's milk, because you have raw, you have the enzyme, and the goat's milk is a different type of casein. So dairy or casein is more on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, they have these lactose-free uh, milks, uh, and mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are lactose intolerant. Do you think mm -hmm. they might actually be casein intolerant? Yeah, they could. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a differentiation, and I bring that up in my book as well because I think that's other, other uh, piece of confusion. So, and, and that's another reason I talk in casein, and I, I kind of break this down in my book of um, what it all really means. I think there's a lot of people are familiar with these terms. They don't really understand and able to connect the dots, and I, I really believe that when you really understand the physiology, you're a little bit more motivated to make changes. But, yeah, mm -hmm. the lactose... So lactose is the carbohydrate, right? So every food is made of three macronutrients, your fat, your protein, and carbohydrate. So a lactose intolerance means you don't 
um, you don't have enough lactase, the enzyme that breaks down the carbohydrate lactose in milk. And then casein, um, and that's not necessarily going to be an inflammatory response. That's probably going to be some more of kind of like digestive response. You're not breaking it down. Um, but it could be. Yeah, it could it could be. I would say the casein sensitivity is more of a serious issue. I mean, all of us, as we age, we um, lose some lactase, that enzyme that breaks it down. So it could be a little bit of both. But I would be more concerned about a casein sensitivity. Now, you talk a lot about how people, if they once they clean up their diet, they can try adding certain foods back in. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's like the body calms down, and then it's not so reactive. What are some of the other things that can make the body reactive? Um, um, you make a big point of stress, for example. Yeah, so as far as adding foods back in, I mean, one, I don't think gluten is going to be on that list. You have a sensitivity to gluten, that's, you, you, probably, you shouldn't be eating that um, ever. That's, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. But if you can heal your leaky gut, well, first you have to get rid of all these foods that are causing the inflammation, including inflaming your gut. And there are supplements you can take um, to kind of heal that up. And then, yeah, you might be able to add in certain foods that you were sensitive to before. I know sometimes people will get an actual blood test to check their food sensitivities, and they'll come back with everything from, like, pepper to bananas. I mean, they're just <laughs> sensitive right. to everything. But really what that means is it's a leaky gut. Everything's getting through. So when you can mm -hmm. seal that up, you don't usually have that issue. Um, just just to clarify on that one, but, um, and then you, your other question was what, oh, the stress Sources question. Stress. Sorry, I got, mm -hmm. I got so excited about the food sensitivities there. Yeah, the stress, <laughs> so that, um, stress is a huge, huge piece of it. I mean, I always say, like, if you don't deal with the stress, it, healing is very, is very hard to achieve, and I think we're all so cavalier about that. Everybody knows we should reduce stress, but I don't know that we're all making a priority because it's, but it's really a physiological response, and namely cortisol is this hormone that gets dysregulated, and it's very key to affects your gut health, so it goes back to this root cause. Everything is interconnected, um, mm -hmm. and so if you're not reducing the stress, um, you're just you're just going to kind of keep circling, and you really have to try to lower that cortisol because uh, the cortisol just puts such a stress on your body and taps your adrenal glands, and it's it's all very interrelated. And I think yes. what people don't realize is this kind of hidden. This like it doesn't mean oh I'm stressed. I have a test tomorrow. I have to go speak. Like these kind of acute instances it's this chronic stress maybe you have financial burden or you're a caretaker for someone it's this those are the the type of stressors you really need to um that are really going to cause the issues when you're just or just kind of always in the state of anxiety that's when it really starts to you start to pay a price in your health mm -hmm. shelly in this last segment, I would love for you to give some tips to our listeners. I, 
always believe in the 80-20 rule. So there must be, you know, something at the 20% level that we can change in our lives that will have the biggest impact. What would you say would be the highest priority changes? Oh, um, there's a lot. I would say, one, just starting to eat more whole foods, um, avoiding packaged foods. Um, that kind of will address a lot of different issues. Um, you know, they're filled with added sugars. A lot of times they have GMOs. They could have pesticides. Um, another big issue with packaged foods that I have is usually if you look at the type of fats that they have, they'll be a very processed fat, which is very, um, you know, the processed vegetable oils and some of the industrial seed oils are very inflammatory. And a big issue of inflammation is having an imbalance of omega-3 fats, which we get from fish and flax and kind of things people may not eat as, uh, as commonly, and, and the omega-6, omega-6 the kind of bad omega-6 fats, which are the processed vegetable oils. So when we're eating packaged foods, I think we're just getting an overabundance of these harmful oils. So if mm -hmm. you can just stop doing that, um, you kind of check So which are the good oils? The good oils are, well, I mean, fish oil is a, is a good is a good one. Um, avocado oil, olive oil is a good one. Coconut oil. And, you know, I, the animal, if you're eating animal fats, they can actually mm -hmm. be anti-inflammatory as well, which I think a lot of people are surprised to hear. If you're eating them from, you know, pastured, grass-fed animals, they can be a good source mm -hmm. of fats. I would avoid, like, canola oil and soy oil and corn and peanut and um Def, I've swapped, so I would say swapping out your fats is another one that I think is kind of an easy thing to do if you're cooking. I mean, it doesn't really, you know, some people, you know, the spectrum of where people are on their diets and they have some really big non-starters or their really diets are just not near optimal. But if you're cooking, if you can just switch the fats you use, that's a pretty easy one to do, I think. It's just swapping. And I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of that. I have one of my, um, in the toolkit in the back is just pantry staples to swap out. I'm a big fan of swapping things and not feeling like you have to completely turn over the apple cart to start eating. <laughs> right, not diet. feeling deprived. You know, that's what I did. Right. It was a little shocking, depending on where you are with your mm -hmm. diet. Um, so I think that's a good yep. one. And simple things like cleaning up your water, you're getting reverse osmosis water. We're getting, you know, think you're drinking eight glasses of water a day, and if you're not drinking clean water... Um, you know, you're getting exposed to a lot of different chemicals, heavy metals and pesticides, even some discarded medication. So reverse osmosis right now is the best method to do, which you can get a filter or you can buy filtered water um, and salt. I think like easy things you can do, like avoid um, table salt, start using sea salt. It's going to have more minerals in it. It's not going to have as many um, synthetic ingredients in it and the bleach so it's kind of these like foundational issues I think you can do and mm -hmm. then I would definitely if you are having chronic issues digestive issues skin issues um, absolutely if you have any type of autoimmune condition I would at least take out gluten I would try gluten and casein 
for a period of at least two weeks, ideally four, and see how you feel. Mm-hmm. What about turmeric? That might turmeric? be more of an advanced move. <laughs> turmeric is a great spice um, or curcumin, the active ingredient in it. You can take that orally um, or you can just use it in your foods. You know, there's look on Pinterest. You can make a turmeric latte. You can add it to soups. It's a really powerful anti-inflammatory and, and has been shown to be as effective as some of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, but without damaging your gut. So that's a good anti-inflammatory. And I really like, um, I really like cod liver oil supplements. <laughs> you know, high vitamin cod liver oil, you're getting high vitamin A and vitamin D, as well as the anti-inflammatory omega-3 fats. I would caution if you're on any blood thinning medication and... I always recommend, if, if you can, to get your nutrients tested, especially vitamin D, before you start taking supplementation. But I'm a big, a big fan of cod liver oil. Doesn't that have a problem with mercury? Well, you need to get it from a good source. Um, and there's, mm-hmm. there's some good companies that are getting um, sourcing their, their fish without ensuring them without heavy metals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can use um, algae oil if you are not wanting to do the fish. Algae oil is another oh. source mm-hmm. of um, omega-3. Yeah, so those are some, some big ones. Just cleaning and cleaning up um, just the whole food. I, I also think if you can just start to kind of shift how you balance your meals, I think, um, you know, again, kind of back to that food guide pyramid where – Something we know, like how much are we supposed to eat of what? And I, I just, as a general rule, you should try to make each meal like 50% fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables, and your meat from pastured, <laughs> grass-fed organic sources should be a side. It's like a side dish, as well as your grains. I think we eat certain people, I think, probably need to avoid grains, but I think everyone could reduce the amount of them. Um mm-hmm. We just don't need to make those the mainstay of our plate. And what I see most commonly is either people build their meal around the meat or they build it around the grain. And we should be building it around the antioxidants and the vegetables and the fruits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's uh, very, very good advice. I noticed uh, on your uh, tool tips or something, you had something called golden milk, a reference to golden milk. What's that? Oh, that was that was in an article I think I wrote for another website. Um, that is a turmeric. It's re, it's referring to turmeric, um, and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of called in golden milk just because it has been shown to be such a uh, powerful anti-inflammatory. But there's lots of different recipes to include turmeric, and you can take so. What would be the recipe well. for golden milk? Obviously, oh, gosh. you're. Suggesting that we don't. I use didn't milk. write the recipe. I didn't write oh, the recipe. Okay. I wrote the article on why turmeric is effective and why. <laughs> okay, well, I will give the um, recipe uh, because I yeah, wrote it I down. Oh, it's, okay. it's one cup of almond milk, a half a teaspoon of turmeric, a half a teaspoon of ginger, quarter of a teaspoon of black pepper, and one teaspoon of coconut oil, and then. Um, sweetened to taste with whatever your particular preference is. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're not recommending sugar. 
So I thought, uh, I, I've actually tried that, and it's not at all bad. It's really pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some other, um, I couldn't recite a recipe off the top of my head, but I've seen some good recipes for a, a, like a turmeric latte, probably a similar recipe to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll well, they do say that combining black pepper with turmeric enhances the absorption of the turmeric. Oh, interesting. I actually didn't. Wasn't aware of that, so thank you. Well, now you. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> no, sure. I, honestly, now I need to find out where I'm associated with this recipe. But um, just the nature, I think, of promoting a book, you get your name pops up in different areas. Yeah, yeah. But I'll have to well, look that up. That does actually sounds good. So, um, what are you doing next, Shelley? Oh God. Do you have another book next? in the in the works? I, it's not in the works. It is in my head. I'm in the, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just kind of letting all the ideas flow in and taking lots of notes. I, I'm still in recovery from getting this one out. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it is like having a child. I need enough time to pass for me to forget how traumatizing the delivery was. <laughs> and <then laughs> that selective memory needs to kick in and um, uh-huh. to inspire. But I do have, um, I do have another idea in the works, a concept that builds on this, but it may be more specific to certain conditions, maybe a little more focus on autoimmunity and um, and some other factors, mm-hmm. and I might build that into a course as, as well, but um, I haven't formally started writing the book yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need, I, my, my cortisol will, will go through the roof if I start that one. <laughs> Yeah, well, we were talking about the relationship between cortisol and all the other ills that um, befall us. So it's really important to keep our stress levels, keep our clean up our diet. Uh, Gosh, human, you know, considering how tough we are, we're awfully prone to break itch and going out of order. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, we have some factors working against us these days. You know, I feel like you really have to be kind of rogue and, you know, just the society we live in, like the infrastructure and the food we have easy access to at restaurants and, you know, the environmental factors. It's Yeah, and, and you really did mention... Make it easy. Yeah, you mentioned in your book about uh, the different uh, things in our home environments that can be mm-hmm. uh, upsetting us, too. So mm-hmm. um, I, I really yeah. uh, commend you on this very accessible and, and helpful book. It's all full of great tips for cleaning up your your act and cleaning up your uh, gut and getting everything tickety-boo, as they say in England. <laughs> Well, thank you. That was my point. I wanted to be very concise so people weren't overwhelmed, and I wanted it to be actionable so people really had Mm -hmm. very specific steps on to know, you know, what do I do with all this information? So thank you very much. Well, well done. So we were speaking to Shelley Malone about her book, Inflamed. Uh, It's in the bookstores, on Amazon. Highly recommended. Thank you very much, Shelley. Thank you. 
And do join us next week for our, our show. In the meantime, you can visit happyguide.com, H-A-P-I-G-U-I-D-E. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Many blessings. Goodbye.